All right, so as I said, tonight we are jumping into the, the fourth week on our teaching series on the Beatitudes. Uh, as together we've been walking through the, the eight blessings that Jesus gave as means of introduction to the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and what we've really been trying to, to highlight through this series is, is what it looks like when your life is fully gripped, fully captured by the gospel. Because uh, that is actually what we believe the Beatitudes are all about. Uh, that the Beatitudes shouldn't be read as a list of separate and individual blessings. Uh, it, it's not like some Christians get some of them because, you know, we, we've ticked the box for that one, we've met the requirements, and we've fallen short in others, so we miss out on those Beatitudes. That The Beatitudes are actually for each and every Christian. They're, they're this singular and self-consistent process. A description of what it looks like when your world gets turned upside down by the gospel, and that means ultimately it is a map that points to Jesus. And so what we've seen in this series so far is uh, in the first week, we saw that the first three Beatitudes map across to the process of our salvation. Uh, That blessed are you when you realize you actually need saving because only then are you perfectly positioned to receive it. Uh, And then in the second week, we saw that the next three Beatitudes map across to the process of our sanctification. Uh, That blessed are you when the Holy Spirit begins to transform you from the inside out because you will become the person God always intended you to be. And then last week, Zelvin walked us through the the blessing of the peacemakers. That that blessed are you when having received the peace of God, you you take that and you take it out into a world that is so desperately in need of it, because you will never look more like Jesus. And so tonight, we we get to jump into the final beatitude. And and it's really interesting, because the way Jesus decides to to end the beatitudes, to end this introduction uh, into the Sermon of the Mount, this description of what it looks like when your life is transformed by the gospel is by talking about the opposition that we will all necessarily face if we begin to walk down this path. Uh, Matthew 5, uh, verse 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. But Jesus' final beatitude is all about persecution, which means tonight is going to be a nice lighthearted message with tons of jokes. And <laughs> no, it's, it's a tough message, I won't lie. Um, and I think the reason it's tough is, A, no one wants to talk about persecution, no one wants to talk about opposition we experience in our lives. But uh, I actually also think for a lot of us, we don't even really think this beatitude applies to us. You know, despite the fact that persecution of Christians uh, worldwide is at an all-time high, uh, that there are currently 360 million Christians currently living in places of high levels of persecution, that in the last year alone there have been 6,000 Christians who have been martyred, there have been 5,000 Christians who have been detained without trial or arrested or imprisoned. Despite all of that, we, we look at those figures and go, yeah, but that doesn't apply to me. You know, I live in the West. I, I have freedom of religion. I can say what I want, but I'm, I'm not facing opposition. I'm not facing persecution. And, and I think that that puts us on a bit of a weird footing, right? Because that means this, this isn't for us. Uh, and and I, I don't actually think that that's the way we're supposed to read this beatitude, that this is actually something for us. So I want to start off tonight's message just by breaking down two things first before we jump into the meat of what I think Jesus is saying here. 
And the first and most important one is that persecution is actually a promise. So remember, the, the way we're looking at the Beatitudes is it's a description of what happens when your life is captured by the gospel. That, that you are saved, and then you are transformed. The Holy Spirit begins to do something in you. Uh, then, then you begin to take that peace you have received out into the world around you, that, that you share the gospel and God's peace. And after that, what must happen of natural, as a result of natural overflow of who you are becoming in Christ, what must happen is you must face opposition from this world around us. That Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulations. Not you might, no, not you could, not, not you should be ready in case you experience something along the lines. You will face troubles of many kinds. And, and so, yes, I'll be the first to admit that that does look different for, to us than it does for the rest of the world. That because we live in a culture that is not ruled by fear and violence, the way and the manner in which the world opposes us, it does look different. That, that, that we aren't being killed for our faith, that we don't have to face the same atrocities that our brothers and sisters Christ do in, in China and Iraq and India and in other parts of the world. But, but as I read the Bible, as I read what Jesus says, I think he makes it very clear to us that opposition as a Christian does not run on an opt-in system. That, that experiencing condemnation from the world is not a choice we get to make, that, that persecution is our promise. And, and so as we walk into this idea of what opposition we, we face in the world, I want you to start thinking about what that actually looks like in your life. Maybe you're here tonight and you've experienced in, in the squeezing of your integrity. That it, your colleagues and your classmates and, and your workmates, they, they know you're a Christian. And so they just do things to try to push you over the edge, to, to get you to do things that they know you shouldn't. Oh, you don't have to follow the rules on this one. It can just be our secret. It'll be easier this way. Oh, you can have one extra drink. No one's looking. It'll be our secret. Oh, you, you can cheat on this. I, I won't tell anyone if you don't. And, and they say these things not because they, they want you to actually do them, but because they know that if you fall short of the values you have declared, then you're just like everyone else. Maybe you experience it as hate. That, that someone finds out you're a Christian. And, and before you have a moment to explain what that looks like in your life or, or how your, your walk with Jesus uh, works, they start saying things like, oh, I hate Christians. Christians are stupid. They're annoying. I mean, how could you be a Christian? They're all just small-minded and judgmental bigots. That, that you experience this adversity and opposition that you, you know there's no basis for. It's not grounded in anything you've done or anything you've said, but it's just like all of a sudden they find out you're a Christian and you're just the enemy. Maybe you've experienced it as loss of friendship or a family relationship blowing up. That you bring Jesus back with you into your home and now it's like all of a sudden these people don't want anything to do with you anymore. Maybe you've experienced it as loss of promotion or, or loss of raise or a job opportunity because of the values you hold and, and freely declare. But may, maybe you're here and you have actually experienced it as physical violence. And, and look, I, I'm so aware that these do, these do not seem the same as being physically killed for what we believe. And I don't want to belittle or, or diminish the, those atrocities that are happening in the world. But when I talk to people and I hear them say things like, I stopped losing friends when I stopped talking about God. Or my workplace just doesn't want me to be a Christian. 
Or I tried telling people about Jesus, but everyone just told me to jump off a cliff. So I stopped. Then I can't help and see that we are still facing opposition today. That yes, it's different, but persecution is still our promise. But we do have to be careful. Because we need to make sure we are being persecuted for the right reasons. See, Jesus says we are to be persecuted for righteousness sake. He doesn't say, blessed are you when you're hated because you're obnoxious. He doesn't say, blessed are you when when you face difficulties in this world or you're having a hard time because you're difficult to talk to or you're argumentative or because you're lacking any real wisdom or you're just foolish in how you share the gospel. He says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are you when you are persecuted because people look at you and they see Jesus in you. See, I think so often as Christians, yes, we get persecuted because of our faith, because of what we believe. But I think a lot of the time we get persecuted because we're jerks. <laughs> that um, we, we do the stupidest of things, right? Like, like we'll argue for the sake of arguing. And, and I, know, I can say this one because this is me. This is what I used to do. That like we'll take the beauty of the gospel, the, the beauty of the word of God, and we'll use it to create arguments and disagreements and, and strife and just like have these debates for the sake of it. Not because we love people or because we want them to see the truth or find Jesus, but because we want to look smart. Because we somehow think that if we can argue from a biblical basis about real world issues, we just look better. Church, that is not the point of the Bible. And that is not what Jesus is talking about here. That God's word, yes, God's word is a sword. And there are times where it should be wielded in truth to pierce people's hearts. But it should never be used as a sledgehammer. It should never be used to, uh, to beat down or to belittle or to create conflict. So yes, persecution is a promise. But we need to make sure we're being persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so with those two things sort of squared away, I think the way we should read this beatitude that, that Jesus is walking us through is that if you are truly seeking after Jesus then you will face opposition in this world. That if your life has been truly captured by the gospel, then it will be a life marked by persecution. And so what I wanna do tonight is I wanna walk through three truths about how that actually unfolds in our lives. And for each of those truths, I wanna show you how at the end of the day, it is so, so worth it. Does that sound good? Awesome. Uh, All right, first and foremost, if you are serious about following after Jesus, then you will look different to the rest of the world. Uh, John 15, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. That if we are chasing after Jesus and not the things of this world, we will, by definition, look different to that world. That the life that Jesus is inviting us into is not the life the world is inviting us into. And so that means as Christians, we, we just do things differently. 
We do money differently. We do family differently. We do relationships differently. In a world that says it's all about me, myself, and I, and whoever ends up with the most toys wins, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In a world that idolizes wealth and prestige and, and how many zeros you have at the end of your bank account, Jesus says money is the root of all sorts of evil. And it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In a world that says casual relationships are the go and that sex is just an appetite, Jesus says that from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That according to Jesus, marriage is between one man and one woman for one lifetime, and that is God's ideal and plan for how the world should work. In a world that says porn is just natural, that it's a victimless crime and everyone does it, Jesus says, do not even look at a woman with lustful intent. That every single woman caught in the brokenness of that industry is someone's daughter and an image bearer of God and is deserving of being treated like that. In a world that says get to the top and stay there whatever it costs and whoever you have to trample to get there, Jesus says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. That we are called to be different, church. And look... I know I just highlighted some really big topics and they're topics we don't like to talk about and they're controversial topics, but I think the reason these are such big topics is because it is in these things that our difference is made most apparent from the rest of the world. That followers of Jesus should be most distinguishable from the world in their attitudes towards three things, money, sex, and power. And so if you are chasing after Jesus, that means you have to look different to the rest of the world that you will live such a countercultural life that you will stick out like a sore thumb, that you will be a city on a hill whose light cannot help but be seen. You will be salt thrown on a meal that cannot help but be tasted. You will be different. But, and, and this is an important but, we are not to be different for the sake of being different. That we shouldn't just be against the culture we live in. We shouldn't just be anti-capitalism or anti-media or anti-violence or for some reason, anti-Harry Potter. Well, you too. Um, we, we should always be pro-Jesus. That we are called to be representatives of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. That we shouldn't just look different to the world around us. We should look like Jesus. And you see, what will happen when that is true is the world will notice. That they will look at you and they will see the manifest righteousness of Christ in you and they will compare that to their own self-righteousness. And in comparison, it will look cheap, it will look fake, and it will look showy. And that does something. It either drives people to, to hate you or it drives them towards Jesus. That that Jesus in you should be so desirable and irresistible that when people see him in your life, they come running to him or they flee in the other direction because they are afraid of him. But do you know who else will notice? And this is something I don't think we talk about a lot in church. Other believers. That there are people walking with you in your life who follow after Jesus and they need to see 
that there is something different in you. Because what will happen when you're different is you'll be contemplating walking away from a difficult marriage. And yet you will choose to love and to submit and do the really, really hard work of reconciling with each other. And you know what will happen? There will be six other couples in the church who are considering going through a divorce and they will look at you and they will look at what God has done in your life and they'll go, well, look, maybe God can do that for us as well. That you'll be struggling with porn. And yet because you know that Jesus is calling you to something better, you will do the really hard work of creating barriers and installing apps and blocking websites and creating accountability. And through the grace of God in your life, you will break that addiction. And then what will happen is you will go to your small group and you will tell them what God has done in your life. And there will be five other guys in that small group have the same problem and they will see that it is possible for them to be different as well. The church, we are not just following Jesus for our own sake. That our relationship with Jesus is, is not just for us. That the world needs Jesus. And maybe the only way they will ever see him is if they first see him in you. So yes, if you are serious about following after Jesus, you will look different to the rest of the world. But it is worth it because you will look more like Jesus. And if you do that, life will be categorically more difficult for you. The second point is, is if you are serious about following after Jesus, your life, it will be harder. It will. See, I think so often as Christians, we get this really, really wrong because Jesus does not promise us an easier life. A more joyful life, absolutely. A more fulfilled life, a more abundant life, yes, of course, but an easier life, no way. Um, in Matthew seven fourteen, Jesus says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. That being a Christian is not supposed to be easy. Let me say that again. Being a Christian is not supposed to be easy. I mean, let's just get practical for a second. And let's ignore the opposition we face in this world for a bit as well. If you want to do money the way that Jesus says to do money, you are starting off at a lower income level than everyone else. That where everyone else has 100% of their income to, to pay their bills and meet their mortgage repayments and cover groceries and, and, and do things like holidays, you have to make do with 90%. If you do Sabbath and rest and establish rhythms the way that Jesus says to, you have one less day in your week than everyone else. That again, where everyone else has seven days to get all their chores done and to do the washing and to do the grocery shopping, you have to make do in six. If you want to do marriage, the way that Jesus says to do marriage, and this is coming from someone who's never been married, so take from it what you will, but what I see in the Bible is, is how the Bible describes marriage, it seems pretty hard to me. Uh, it means both sides continually sacrificing and pouring themselves out and, and dying to their own desires so that they can serve their partner. And talking to men particularly, because that's how I read the Bible, it means men, we have to be like Christ is to the church, to our wives. That means we lead, and not the way the world leads, but we lead by being the first to forgive. 
We lead by being the first to repent, the first to admit we're wrong, the first to sacrifice and to love when all that is in you is telling you not to. And as someone who is not married, that sounds really, really hard to me. That if you want to be different to this world, then yes, it will be hard. And it will require really hard work. And again, that wasn't even considering the opposition we face in this world. So let's throw that back into the mix. Uh, Because you know what is hard. It is hard to deal with the fact that a friend has completely cut you out of their lives because you told them about Jesus. It is hard to have a family relationship completely blow up because you brought Jesus back home with you. And now it's like that relationship is completely gone and every Christmas is really awkward because everyone at the table knows what you believe and they disagree with you and it's like they don't have that, that interaction there at all anymore. It is hard to live with the fact that people think of you as a small-minded bigot because you believe in things like the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage, and you actually tell people that you believe that. And it's not like the world even thinks you're wrong. I mean, I mean they do, but it's not that they just think your views of the world are wrong. They actually think of you as the opposition now. That because of what you believe, They think you are someone who is actively trying to oppose their freedoms and restrict their liberties, that they view you as an enemy. It is hard to know that you probably won't be getting that promotion, that you've probably lost that raise or that you might actually lose your job because you know you're being called to be a faithful witness in your workplace. And and the, the thought of your colleagues entering into eternity apart from Christ breaks your heart so much that you can't help but share the truth. It is hard, church, and it should be. Because I don't think it was easy for Jesus to go to the cross. And so I don't see why it should be any easier for us to follow in his footsteps. And can I just say, that is why the prosperity gospel is such a heresy. But because it preaches a message that says, from the moment you meet Jesus, everything is up and to the right. That if you invite Jesus into your heart, you are destined for a life of cash, money, and prizes. And and, and it's a serious thing because what it does is if you are a new believer and that is the story you have been told, then you will go through moments where things are hard. You, You will experience the dark night of the soul. And if all you have ever been told is that Jesus should make your life easier, then you will begin to hate and resent the God that has withheld that ease from you. But if you go into your walk with Christ expecting to find resistance from this broken world, if you expect to face hardship and persecution and heartache, then what will happen is is those same hardships will come upon you and you will come running to God and he will give you a strength that you never knew was possible. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weakness. I am content with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That yes, we are promised that life will be harder if we follow after Jesus. But it is worth it because what will happen is we will receive a strength that is far greater than our own. That we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. 
persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. That Jesus promises us that he will come alongside us and he will give us a peace that transcends understanding. He will give us a hope that cannot be shaken. He will give us a joy that is unfailing. He will give us a strength, church. And with that strength, we can endure whatever the world throws at us. That the presence of heaven is never closer. The strength of God in us never greater than when we become like Christ and we join in his suffering. So yes, if you are serious about following after Jesus, life will be harder. But it is worth worth it because your strength will be greater. All right, and and finally, we come to the the hardest part of tonight's message. So if I haven't uh, offended you or challenged you in some way, um, buckle up. (laughs) No, but look, if you are serious about following after Jesus, you will be hated. And I know that's a strong word, that's some strong language, but that's not me saying it, that's Jesus saying. Uh, John 15, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Matthew 24, 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. See, again, Jesus promises us that we will be hated. Not we might, we will be hated. That in the same way they persecuted and hated the prophets, the world will persecute and hate us. And if you've read much of the Old Testament, that thought should actually terrify you. Uh, Let's go through some examples. Uh, Jeremiah, he was beaten. He was accused of being a traitor against his country. He was thrown into a dry well to die. He was imprisoned. And eventually he was carted off to Egypt against his will. Elijah, uh, Elijah was threatened with death by Queen Jezebel and he had a bounty put on his head. Amos was exiled after prophesying against the king and against uh, Israel. John the Baptist was arrested for speaking against King Herod, and he had his head chopped off eventually. And in the end of the day, Jesus, the greatest of all prophets, he went to the cross. That in the same way the world hated the prophets, they will hate us. Because again, we don't look like them. That there's something different in us that they don't like. And so they either respond by by running towards it because Jesus is irresistible to them or they respond by trying to destroy it and to squash it because they don't like what they don't have living inside of them. But again, church, it's so worth it. See, this last beatitude is really interesting because the blessing you receive in it is the same as the first beatitude. Uh, That that both the person who, who first realizes they need Jesus in their life and the person is being persecuted because of him. Both of them receive the kingdom of heaven. And I think the reason this reward appears again twice is because it is exactly what we are fighting for. That we are willing to suffer the last beatitude so that others may enter into the first. That we don't suffer because we enjoy it. We endure it because we know that people need to find truth that we can withstand pain and hatred and suffering because we know the eternity we are fighting for people to enter into. 
that we are willing to suffer in order to plunder hell and populate heaven. See, see people always ask, how can I invite someone to church? Or, or how can I share my faith? And, and look, we, we try and make that easier for you. We, we have things like Alpha and the movie series in a couple of weeks, but you know what the best way to share your faith is? Suffer. Go through pain. Be hated. And then go to the people in your life who have eyes to see what you are going through and say, look at what I've endured. Look at the weakness I have gone through. Look at the difficulties I have faced, the opposition I have endured. And yet look how good my God has been throughout it. Look how he has taken me out through to the other side. And I promise you, he can do the same thing for you. See, church, there is something irresistible to the world when we suffer well. When we look at all the hatred and persecution that the world can throw at us, and yet when we remain strong. When we join with the martyrs of the church and we declare the gospel even while they put us to the stake. When we sing worship songs even when they put shackles around us, and when we still say God is good when they tell us they will kill us if we do that. That Charles Spurgeon once said, never did the church so much prosper and so truly thrive as when she was baptized in the blood. That the ship of the church never sails so gloriously along as when the bloody spray of her martyrs falls on her deck. That we must suffer and we must die if we are to ever conquer this world for Christ. That is what we are being called to. We are being called to suffer well for the sake of one more soul brought unto Jesus. We are called to, to suffer and to be willing to lose our job so that the, that the guy at work can come to church. We, should be, we are being called to experience hatred and, and persecution so that people can know there is a hope and his name is Jesus. Because that is exactly what Jesus did for us. That on the cross, Christ was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was laughed at, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was spat upon. And if Christ endured all of that so that one more person, so that you could come into relationship with the Father, then how can we be willing to do anything less? So yes, if you are serious about following after Jesus, you will be hated. But it's worth it because your witness will be so much greater. So look, as we finish this off and the band can start coming up as we do. I'm fully aware that this has been a heavy topic. <laughs> uh, that there haven't been a whole lot of jokes. There haven't been a whole lot of fun analogies. But I actually think this is a really serious topic. And I don't think it's one we talk about enough. And it's actually deserving of some weight. So as we finish this off, I want to ask you a question tonight. Where is Jesus calling you to be different? Where is it in your life that you need to look more like Jesus and less like the world around you? Is it in your workplace? Do you show up every day, Monday through to Friday, and you just do the things that everyone else does because that's how everyone else does it? Because you know that if you break, break the mold or you swim against the flow, then there will be opposition and it's going to prevent your progression through the corporate ladder. Or do you turn up to work every day representing Jesus? 
Do you work with such energy and enthusiasm that, that it glorifies your position, it glorifies your boss, it glorifies your company, and most of all, it glorifies Jesus? Is it in your family? Did you interact with your wife or your husband or your kids in the same way the world says you're supposed to? Because you can do that, right? And I'm telling you, you'll get the same results that the world gets. And families and relationships in the, in, in the world, they, they, they're broken. They're neglected children, they're absent fathers, they're divorces. Or you, you can invite Jesus into that space. You can have a family that is so revolutionary, different to the rest of the world. You can have doors that are open for all to come in. You can love and pour yourself out for your partner. You can create a space where your children and the children of those around you can grow up knowing Jesus. Is it in how you deal with your money? Because I know and the way the world says to deal with money is to, that it's all yours. And you should live uh, to whatever means you can. And if you need to go into debt to do that, then that's fine. And it's all yours anyway. Or you can say all the money is Jesus's anyway. It's all God's blessing and gift. And we can just give him back the first so that he can bless the rest. That every cent you have been given is a blessing that you can use to bless those around you. Where is it you need to be different, church? See, at the end of the day, we don't follow after Jesus because He gives us a better life. We don't follow after Jesus because He gives us cash and prizes or because He makes our lives more comfortable. We follow after Jesus because He is better than life. And so look, that means you're gonna be different. That, that you will look fundamentally different from everyone around you. And yes, it means your life will be harder. That things by, will be categorically more difficult than if you weren't a Christian. It means you will be hated and mocked and spat upon and ridiculed by this world around us. But it's worth it. Because it means you will look more like Jesus. That you will reflect Jesus to those around you, to a world that so desperately needs and longs for a sin. It's worth it because it means you will have a strength that is greater than your own. That you will go through difficulty and heartache and pain and yet you will just keep on singing through it because Jesus is with you and he has given you a strength that makes no sense. And it means you're witnessed, church. Your witness will be greater than you could have ever imagined. See, at the end of the day, Jesus turns to you and he says, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would truly seek after me, then let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross daily and follow me. See, ultimately, church, a life gripped by the gospel is one that just follows after Jesus. And that's what the Beatitudes are about and that's what this is all about. And for us, that means we follow him all the way to the bitter end and we are willing to join in him in his suffering. So Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you have given us the grace to be different, that you have called us to be different. Lord, I thank you that we do it following after you, that we don't go alone, but we go in the strength you have given us. 
And I thank you, Lord, that wherever you are, there is blessing and there is peace and there is joy. And Lord, that you can use even the brokenness of our lives, the brokenness of this world to bring witness, to bring people onto you. So Lord, I just pray for a blessing over every heart here. Lord, that you would convict us, that there would be parts of our life that, that, that look like the rest of the world and you would come to us tonight in this space and say, no, you are not called to be like the world, you are called to be like me. And Lord, then you would give us the grace to actually follow through with that and follow after you. So Lord, help us. Help us to live a life that is so counterculturally countercultural to the rest of the world that the world cannot help but see you. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen.